Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 25. Prague, February 24th, 1970. 1. Even the finest hotel goes mad before a big event, and the Hotel International Praha was no exception. Gray-clad staff swarmed the back stairs and choked service elevators. Representatives from the ministries of culture and science toured freeze-lined meeting rooms, hands clasped behind their backs, reviewing plush carpets and sparkling chandeliers with the couched disapproval of bureaucrats angling for a bribe. Everyone watched everyone else. Soviets watched Americans. Americans watched Soviets. Brits watched both, and everyone watched the Czechs. But few people watched the maids. It's a wonder, Nadia Ostrohina said, as she pushed the cleaning cart into a fifth-floor room and closed the door. Once inside, she switched from Czech to Russian. Even in our line of work, where you would expect more vigilance, people tend to overlook serving stuff as if rooms clean themselves. Tanya Morozova shrugged and lifted the top layer of folded bedsheets from the cart to reveal a stash of transmitters, which she then seated around the room. At least the uniforms match this time, not like the Berlin job. Nadia laughed. <laughs> the Berlin job. Those girls will drink on that story for years, but this fabric feels cheap enough to be real. She flicked her over-starched collar, then grabbed another transmitter and headed for the bathroom. Don't you love this work? Tanya frowned at the transmitter she was trying to attach to a dresser's underside. It would not stick. She pressed its back harder against the wood. Forty rooms to check on this floor, bugs to plant, then surveillance to make sure no one removes them. There's a fine line between impersonating menial laborers and performing menial labor. <laughs> oh, please. 
Tanya heard a clatter from the bathroom. Nadia, climbing onto the counter. For once we get to do clean, normal spy work. No magic, no ancient struggle between flame and ice. Only comrades and their enemies playing at the shadow war. Think of it as a vacation. The damp transmitter still would not stick. Tanya licked her thumb and rubbed the wood clean. For this to be a vacation, we'd have to give the other world a rest. Again, the transmitter fell. It won't leave us alone just because we're ignoring it. Magic can take care of itself for a week or two. Tanya heard Nadia climb down from the bathroom sink, followed by the sound of running water. We have a building of biologists on whom to spy, quite possibly Americansky schemes to thwart. Our comrades in the ice will understand this light shift in priorities. I'm not certain what to believe about our comrades in the ice anymore. Tanya clutched the transmitter in her fist, as if to snap it in half. She remembered frozen bodies arrayed on narrow beds on a barge. She remembered Andela's wide eyes before the safe house door closed, and imagined those same eyes, frozen shut. Tanya sat back on her heels and glared at the transmitter in her palm. Nadia was standing beside her. Tanya hadn't heard her move. She followed the line of stockings and skirt up to her friend's, her partner's, face. Tanya, I understand your misgivings, but you need faith for now. We're doing good. The last word seemed very hard for her to say. Focus on the job. This is fun. If you don't let yourself smile a little, you'll crack. Fine, Tanya said, and slapped the transmitter back against the wood. This time, it stuck. For now. Not much of a safe house, Dominic Alvarez said through his lit cigar. Gabe Pritchard, hands in pockets, reviewed the alley. They hadn't been followed, as far as he could tell. And even with all the secret magic crap he'd dealt with in the last few weeks, he remained confident in his ability to spot a tail. But there was always the chance he'd missed something, especially with Dom along. The man was distracting, and not exactly subtle. Christ, keep your voice down, Gabe said. But the alley stayed still and cold and dark. No snow for once, a nice change, but enough left over from the last night's fall that Gabe should have been able to hear footsteps or a silent observer changing position. Nothing. Not that a prospective tale had anywhere to hide. No obstacles or shelter here, unless you counted those few trash cans. Dom tipped cigar ash into the snow by the basement door and kicked more snow to cover it up. Gabe frowned. They'll see your footprints. You CIA guys. Dom didn't quite laugh. Always jumping at shadows. We would have seen a tail, and Christ, do you really think some Soviet stooge would give a shit about one more ash pile in this city? Maybe, Gabe thought, if there were magic involved. The KGB had ice moles, so why not flame as well? Both mystical factions seemed to have a pretty damn wide sense of their own territory. Well, might as well get on with it. 
If he started second-guessing himself about magic, he'd be here all night. The space looks good to me. Clear lines of sight, off-street door. Drop a sniper in the window up there and a guy on the roof, and nobody's getting in or out without our say-so. What am I missing? Dom shrugged. Gabe resisted the urge to hit him. Anchises starts in 48 hours. Our, he stopped himself from saying, defector, guest arrives the day after tomorrow. And if we have to find a new safe house to stash him in, I'll need more than a hunch to justify it to Frank. Dom went very still. The ember at the tip of his cigar flared. Then he moved. One arm darted out across Gabe's back, and the blunt, strong fingers of his hand bit into Gabe's shoulder. Gabe tensed, body calculating options and outs. Dart inside, elbow to the throat. Drop weight, don't go to the ground where you'll lose the use of your height, and Dom's dense strength will work to his advantage. Then he realized Dom was laughing. Mother, Gabe said, but didn't finish. Gabe, you're all right. I strung, but I like you. Dom grinned around the scar. This place looks great. I was just fucking around. Come on, let's check her out from the inside. The padlock looked rusted, but opened without protest, admitting them to the bowels of the safe house. This, too, looked defensible. A wide-open basement chamber, lines of sight interrupted only by a few pylons, wooden pallets piled to one side. One door led into a narrow hall, stairwell door to the left, easily securable, storeroom to the right. Dom checked exits and airflow. Seems good. Upstairs, a warren of rooms tangled around the central stair, all unoccupied and in various stages of decay. The place had been elegant once, before some revolution or another had gotten to it. Why is no one here? Gabe shook his head. Whole place is marked for demolition come spring. Structural problems? Dom asked, peeling away a long strip of plaster. Nothing like that, Gabe said. Just building something else in its place. Make work shit. Shame. Beautiful old piece of junk like this. The hitchhiker in Gabe's head twitched. You okay? Months ago, Gabe wouldn't have been. Months ago, even that little twitch would have doubled him over in pain. Much as he hated to admit it, he seemed to be learning how to deal with the bastard. Either that or the hitchhiker, this dumb elemental stuck half in and half out of his head, was finally on board with the whole don't get Gabe reassigned for mental health reasons plan. Still, no sense ignoring the thing. I'll go check the roof, in case the advance team missed something. Dom stuck his head back out through a cracked door frame. You want me to come with? God, yes. He could use some cigar-chomping, well-armed backup. But if there was something magical up there, Dom would need an explanation, which would mean explaining to the brass. And if he did that, well, so much for Gabe Pritchard, CIA officer. Nah, he said. I can handle it. Stairs creaked underfoot. Dust filtered through the faint gray light. The twitch in Gabe's skull intensified as he climbed, but reciting Alistair's formulae kept it contained. 
As to what Gabe would find on the roof, he had no idea. Another host, maybe? Could the captives on the boat have worked their way free? Someone hostile or hunting him? He opened the door onto the roof and exhaled, caught in a fist of cold air. After the tight stairwell, the Prague rooftops seemed to unfold forever on all sides, slate tile and spires of disused churches. The golem stood at the edge of the roof. It didn't move at first. The golem had chased Gabe through the nights of Prague, clattering after him down alleys. He'd felt its clay hand close around his leg, but always he had seen it out of the corner of his eye or racing from shadow to shadow. In movement and nighttime shadows, the creature was the wrong word. Thing seemed unfinished, made in haste by a rushed sculptor. But in the chill, sourceless light of this late afternoon, it did not look unfinished at all. Human fingers had left loving tracks upon the roughness of its face. The curve and edge of a palm had shaped the swell of its muscles. Nails had carved the whorls of the golem's fingerprints. The golem had not been built to pass for a human being, Gabe thought, in that frozen rooftop moment. The golem had not been built to pass for anything save itself. In the rough beauty of those features, Gabe recognized himself, and Tanya Morozova, and Josh Toms, and Alistair Winthrop, and Nadia, and even Dom down below. He was surprised how still it looked. He hadn't realized until he saw the monster waiting just how much real people moved, legs shaking, shoulders rising and falling, eyes darting as focus shifted. He was even more surprised when the golem lunged. It did not need to shift its weight. No muscles tensed before that hunk of clay sprang. It caught his arm in one massive three-fingered hand and slammed him against the wall. Its mouth opened, revealing crystal teeth and a long, dark gullet. A wind colder than the wind of rooftop Prague hit him from behind somehow, and he was drawn down and down into the pit between those teeth. His hitchhiker screamed. He tried to pull free of the golem, but could not shake its grip. His free hand clutched inside his trench coat for the flask of Voltava River water he kept there. Alistair had used it against the golem last time. He'd collected some himself by moonlight. He felt stretched, pulled, in and down the golem's throat. He fumbled the flask open and splashed the golem in the face. The golem did not roar. It had no lungs. But it fell back, flailing, and Gabe fell too, skidded on the tile roof, almost tumbled over the edge but caught himself. He lunged for the fallen flask. There were a few drops left, maybe enough to save him. The golem staggered to the roof's edge and leapt away. As it arced over the alley, its head spun a half turn on its neck and glared back at Gabe, glared with Gabe's own eyes. Prone on the safe house roof, Gabe told himself he was imagining the resemblance. The golem had been vague at first, its features an artful meld. 
But that had been his own face staring at him as the golem scuttled over rooftops out of sight. His own face in clay. The thing had tried to draw him down, to swallow him into itself. He'd hoped the golem would keep to the shadows for another couple weeks. A string of unsolved crimes pestering the Prague police. But it was coming for him now, on the eve of Anchises, when the company needed all hands on deck. When the slightest mistake could tip their hand to the Russians. When he could least afford goddamn distractions and goddamn magic. Hey, Dom's voice issued from the stairwell. You okay up there? I slipped, Gabe said, forcing himself to his feet. There's ice, but the roof looks... He searched for the right word. Clear. We're good to go. He climbed back down, carrying the empty flask, but the rooftops and the cold lingered in his mind. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Two. That's the shape of it, Dom said in the meeting with Frank the next morning and tapped his cigar into the ashtray. Safe house secured, retreat line scouted. We're good to go once the eggheads get here. Frank sipped his coffee and reviewed the troops. Dom, relaxed as ever, smoking. Josh, controlled, pale, with an eager edge Gabe remembered from his own first big op, and Gabe himself. Like he said, Gabe had picked up a limp during his near tumble off the roof, and he hoped he was hiding it well. We'll have the safe house locked up nice and tight. Glad to hear it, gentlemen. Frank flipped two pages on his clipboard and did not frown with his face so much as with his entire body. The conference starts next week, but the first delegates arrive tomorrow night. Dr. Sokolov among them. There's an arrival ceremony the day after, but most everyone's bound for bed as soon as they touch down. That makes tonight our best opportunity to rendezvous with Sokolov. Gabe tried not to tense. He'd be the logical choice for the rendezvous, given his field experience, and under any other circumstances, he'd have happily made the play, but not with the golem gunning for him. Frank watched him for a pause that lasted far too long, and Gabe scraped for some legitimate reason to beg off. Josh, Frank said without turning, you'll make the contact. Relief tasted sweet as honey. 
Yes, Josh getting the tap probably meant bad things for Gabe's own career. It likely meant Frank hadn't forgiven Gabe's earlier magic-induced fuck-ups with Drahomir and the Russians. But at least the op would roll off smooth. He covered, though. Tom's doesn't have the field experience. He has to get it somehow. Frank held a piece of paper from the clipboard out to Josh, who didn't move. Son, you handled the Milovich approach just fine. Gabe's overexposed for this sort of job. We can get you in with the bellhops. Give you a solid vector for Sokolov and a script. It's an easy run. So long as you don't fuck it up, Frank very pointedly did not say. How's that sound? Josh's hand didn't shake when he took the paper. Or at least, didn't shake much. Gabe caught up with Josh in the closet that passed for an office kitchen. Josh didn't notice Gabe's approach at first. He was drinking coffee from a mug he held with both hands and staring at a blank yellow patch of wall. Gabe reached for Josh's shoulder, but stopped himself. The slightest touch might send the kid to the rafters. Instead, he leaned against the counter and waited with his head down and his arms crossed. I'm that obvious? Josh asked after a while. You'll be fine. Josh uncurled one hand from the coffee mug, drew the folded paper from inside his pocket, and passed it to Gabe. You shouldn't let me read this. None of this should be happening in the first place. Gabe skimmed the paper, folded it again, and offered it back. Easy liaison. Winthrop's in with the bellhops is solid. No risks there. It's not the easiest job I've seen, but you could do a lot worse. No running, no gunning, hardly any risk. Get a full night's sleep and you'll be good to go. I've never done anything like this before. Back when we were stalking Morozova, you took a flying leap out of a car to chase a lead. That was a mistake. Whatever you want to call it, that's what we need right now. Josh took the paper back. I'll see if I can get any more intel on the Russian counter-ops, in case they're playing a new game. You'll be fine. Are you sure? They stared at opposite walls, painted the same horrible yellow. Hey, Gabe said, you can count on me. I, Gabe confessed to Jordan Reams over beer that night at Bar Vodnar, after she'd chased the other customers out, have no goddamn idea what I'm supposed to do. I thought learning about the ice and the flame was supposed to make my life easier. Get this madhouse under control, figure out what's going on inside my head, and push myself back to work. Now I have a golem hunting me through Prague, and he cut himself off. Jordan wasn't ice or flame, exactly, but she wasn't CIA either. It's getting in the way of my day job. She tossed back the last of the two fingers of bourbon she'd poured for herself and glanced a question at him, which he answered with a tired nod. More bourbon for him, a splash for her, and she returned the bottle to its shelf. He started drinking. She pondered him, and the glasses, and the bourbon, and did not. You say the Voltava River water did nothing? It worked. The golem ran for the hills after I splashed it. But it didn't stop the thing. Our monster didn't calm. More like the opposite.
And after you experienced what you called a sucking feeling, it began to look like you? The golem's face had changed when it tried to draw him into its mouth. It had looked more like him. Or was that only a well-placed shadow mixed with fear? I must have made that up. If you want to survive while working with magic, Gabriel, you need to resist self-doubt. Trust your own eyes, your own ears, more than your judgment. Gabe shifted in his chair and stared into his glass. Eyes lie all the time. Ears too. No, she said. Eyes never lie. The judgment lies. It leaps to false conclusions. It embraces easy answers. But if I trust my senses more than I trust my judgment, how can I tell if I'm going mad? There's a thin line between magic and madness, she said, and took a drink after all. You're not making me feel better. You don't come to me to make yourself feel better. You come for help, and you need more of that than usual. So you think the golem's going to continue to be a problem, don't you? He tilted the shot glass and stared through its amber lens down the bar. My luck's not been that good recently. I believe, she said, the golem wants to stay alive. All living things do, and it was made to simulate a living thing. When you drew near in the graveyard, your hitchhiker, the elemental, gave it power. Perhaps now it seeks to draw the elemental into itself. Unfortunately for you, the elemental is too deeply fused with your body, your soul, to slide from you so easily. Because anything else would be too damn easy. I die if it goes. Or you may be ripped from your own body and bound into the golems. Do you see much difference there? Death or eternal imprisonment? She shrugged. They seem different to me. So what do we do? Alistair says, God, I don't want to go to the Brit about this. I'm in deep enough with him already. Even with your soul on the line? Jordan leaned the bar's ladder against the topmost shelf and climbed up. At any rate, she said as she groped among the bottles and casks and wrapped packages there. I'm just mentioning him. You don't need to be so defensive. Long day, I guess. Alistair says every time someone's woken the golem in the past, it wandered until it ran out of power. So where's the power coming from? Maybe it's feeding off of your elemental, like a moving magnet starts a current in a wire. It's not my elemental. It is your elemental. It's just not completely inside you. Maybe the golem can draw off the part you're not using. That explains why the Voltava water didn't work. The water tries to force the golem to sleep, but your presence wakes it up. What if we drown it in the Voltava, or dump it in? You'd end up with a very wet, very angry golem. Catch. A red flash floated down from the top shelf, spinning and sparkling in the taproom lamplight. He caught it, a long quill, Blood red from tip to furthest barb. Jordan descended, bearing a bottle that contained only a yellowed scroll. 
What's this? Golems run on scripture in their heads, written on vellum or leather. That's the tale, anyway. I've never had a chance to play with one myself. But if tales are all we have to go on... She uncorked the bottle and tipped the scroll into her palm. It was smaller than he'd thought. She unrolled the scroll an inch, drew a knife from her belt, and sliced off a piece. The way the knife parted the scroll seemed familiar. His stomach turned. Is that skin? Yes, she said, and took a silver bowl from beneath her. I'll write stop on here, in Hebrew, and a few other languages just in case. When you see the thing next, get this into its head. It might not work, but if it doesn't, I don't know what will. It almost crushed me. So find someone to help. Maybe your friend in the ice. Morozova's not my friend. Jordan shrugged. This is what I can offer. And you should be grateful. She slid the scroll back into the bottle and replaced the cork. You have no idea what this stuff is worth. What will you use for ink? She slid him the bowl and the knife, which was not quite as sharp as her smile. Guess. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.